Hi. This is Alexander Carpenter, and usually I'm here with Adventist Voices Spectrum's podcast where I interview folks, but we're launching a new podcast called Youth Group, and I'm here with Sophia Lindgren, Spectrum's office manager, who's going to tell you about this new series. Hi, everyone. I'm Sophia. This is part one of our three-part series on sex, love, and purity culture. I hope you enjoy listening to this episode as much as I enjoyed talking to these five lovely ladies. Bye. Hi, everybody watching. Um, thank you for watching the first episode of Youth Group. Um, for this first three-part series, we're going to be talking about purity culture. I have two amazing guests and also Ari here. That wasn't me depreciating <laughs> her. <Wow>. Thanks. <laughs> and amazingness as a person. But would you guys like to introduce yourself? Yeah, uh, my name is Melody Roshman. I grew up Adventist, went to Andrews, and I did my PhD in English literature, studying contemporary evangelical Christianity and the ways that it affects gender and culture. Amazing. Uh, my name's Kendra Arsenal. Um, I have an MDiv from Andrews. Uh, did a podcast called Imago Gay, uh, where critiquing LGBTQ um, issues and the church. I feel so intimidated by all of you. <laughs> I know. I'm Ari, and I went to school for film and never finished. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all the greats never yeah, finished. Um, <laughs> but grew up with uh, some pretty intense Adventist parents and uh, learned a lot and evolved my worldview. And I guess that's what put me here today. <laughs> so Alexander was telling me like what you did your um, PhD study. Do you want to like open up with that? I'm sorry. I know no, that, was okay. most, that was the worst like, way to segue. But. So my PhD, I started out just being interested in women's uh, memoir, women's autobiographical narratives mm -hmm. in general, and the ways that both like the history of feminism, but also Christianity, both like authorizes certain kinds of testimony is really important, but also discredits other kinds of testimony if they disagree with kind of like the official like positions on stuff. And what that eventually became was a kind of study of the late progressive Christian writer, Rachel Held Evans, and the community surrounding her. So if the church says, like, oh, you cannot be indigenous and Christian, or you cannot be queer and a Christian, they use the memoir form to say, like, actually, I am both, and my testimony is real, and it is valid, and what happened to me matters. Yeah. I think the fundamental root that's why everybody is here for this project is that just innate desire to know more. Um, and especially as women in conservative Christianity backgrounds, um, it really pushes you to think outside the box uh, because there isn't a lot in that that makes sense. And so then you have to figure out what makes sense. Um, and then you just took it so far and got a doctorate <laughs> yeah in, in my uh my mo has always been if i have a question i'm gonna read like 17 books about it i and i like to like too. yeah and, well i haven't written one <laughs> and it's not published published but uh i think that i mean let's get therapy deep right away like i think i'm someone who like intellectualizes around my emotions and growing up as like a pastor's kid and they have at church and stuff like that i had all of these questions about whether I was the only one feeling these things and explaining those. And so, like, I went looking for answers. How about it's, you, Kendra? It's so interesting. You know, I think for me, my path 
was a little bit similar, mm-hmm. you know, going to get my MDiv really stemmed from this place of having these like internalized limiting beliefs, you know, about my place as a woman and like the things that I should aspire to. As much as I didn't adhere to it like fully, I think there was that part of me in the background that says like, well, why don't they believe specifically in this denomination, like women can't be pastors or like women can't be ordained in that sense. Um, and I think I went on this journey to find those answers and kind of coming to the conclusion, you know, as you're talking about like the memoir form, like drawing from my own story, like this is, this exists. Like I, the, the testimony that I'm here right now is powerful proof that like I, you know, women can do X, Y, and Z or that, I can be this way in the world and it's not wrong. Um, and I think just drawing from real life and drawing from the power of story and self-story, I think is really a big part of like how my own kind of beliefs and theology has evolved over yeah. time. Yeah. I mean, there's like this this feminist, this very old feminist slogan from the 60s and 70s that the personal is political, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, someone <laughs> says that the personal is not just political, the personal is also theoretical. And that means that like we can build theology or theory or political theory or anything like that based on what happened to us. Yeah. Like it's basically a claim that like what happened to you belongs to you. And it's a valid form of truth. Like yeah. it because it's your weight. story. Exactly. And like you own what happened to you. And um and Lamont says, like, your stories belong to you. If people wanted you to talk nicely about them, they should have treated you better in the first place. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> and on that note. <laughs> yeah, there was this, I forget, there was a saying that says, like, I a curse that people would say, like, I hope one of your family members becomes a writer. Because, that, <laughs> you know, as a writer, you're going to uncover all of the inner family dynamics. And, like, but I think even it's so important to, like, really draw reference from my own story I think as a woman and as a woman of color going to seminary really showed me like that a lot of the Christianity that has been input upon us is very white heterosexual male and to say like where do I fit as a queer woman in a relationship with another woman you know um, to be able to own my own piece of this story and to tell my own story through my own lens without having somebody dictate to me what I should believe and how I should be in the world. Yeah. So how was that experience going to seminary? I mean, as being you? I think it was, you know, a shedding of an old self um, because I, I, I talk about it in the way where it's like the Wizard of Oz. You know, you go down the Olympic Road and you go see the wizard and behind the curtain is just this frail old man. And I think that has been my experience with seminary to be like all these things that I put so much importance into that I, you know, drived my life around, that I centered my life around, really was just the machinations of these old, Mm. frail white men. (laughs) Um, The foundation of the church, really. Yeah, exactly. And, And to see that, I think for me, took the power away to say, I can write my own story. Mm. Um, And being able to do that, I think, was the power that I walked away with to say, I can tell my own stories. I think it's really like cool that you guys actually actively pursued answering these questions that you guys had because I mean I can speak for myself every single time that I had a question about the religion that I grew up in or if I had a question about the trauma that I had just experienced I kind of just ran away Mm. from it like I was like it's I invalidated myself especially when it came to like the purity culture thing because I I was like messing around and talking to Alexander about like stupid little 
corpse and stories that happened to me about like purity culture and like going to these youth camps and all of that stuff. And I would kind of just always make a joke about it because it was easier than actually assessing what had just happened. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think our entire generation also just processes trauma with humor. Oh, 100%. But I mean, I kind of did it to like an extreme, Mm. you know, where like even when I would go to therapy for it or something like that, it was always just me being like, but I don't know, maybe I'm just being dramatic the entire time and like having to always double down on my own emotions, especially when it came to like the purity culture thing. I don't know. I think that one of the things about being a woman, being a queer woman, being a woman of color, whatever, is that you get used to at a very young age, the fact that you kind of have to like constantly be citing your sources Yeah. because it's not enough to just say this happened to me, right? Like you have to have evidence, you have to have backup, you have to have like six people agreeing with you. A DNA kit, yeah, all of it. And so much of that is that like, we all live in a society both in the church and also like North American society where for a very long time, like the straight white dude perspective has been seen as like neutral or objective or like the universal experience. Yeah. Like if you you get a degree in English, you're going to take the canon and then you might get one or two specialist classes historically that are like, oh, African-American literature or women's literature or gender studies in literature. And then you'll just get like the literature of England and the United States, which is like men's. And so I feel like if you're someone who uh, like is emotional or has experienced trauma or is disagreeing with that mm-hmm. like default experience, at least if you're like me or like you, you're like, okay, I got to go do homework now. Yeah. I have to show up with sources. Yeah. And like, it's not even just like, oh, prove that that happened to you. It's like, did you ask for it? Like, did yeah. you put yourself mm-hmm. in that situation? Was well, your skirt then, too short? Yeah. Was yeah. your skirt like, did you like talk to him nicely? <laughs> like, it, you always have to kind of double down on everything. Yeah. Wow, you really can do the rock eyebrow. The worst part about the rock eyebrow is that like, okay, so I taught my, sorry, really bad segue. I taught myself how to raise both eyebrows like over (laughs) quarantine, you know, like when you're bored in your room and you have nothing else to do. And then it got to a point where I'm just mid conversation and it will randomly go up. Like I've developed this disgusting, ugly little. I love it. It's a core power group. My PR and eyebrow raises is nuts. <laughs> but yeah, I feel like that scrutiny, that uh, metaphorical rock eyebrow, if you will, <laughs> um, is Good so segue. real. Like so many queer folks talk about the fact that like if you are a queer Christian, you don't get to just be a regular person. Yeah. You have mm-hmm. to kind of like become an amateur theologian. Like you yeah. have to get good at like exegesis and hermeneutics and like all of these things you have to be able to like go through the six clobber verses and give a little bible study and like all of this stuff like even before i realized i was queer like i had to read david gushy's like changing our minds and i had to learn about all the verses and i had to read about all the theology and then like so i remember my parent my in-laws are like standard non-denominational evangelical Mm -hmm. folks and uh, right before my husband and I got married, uh, our wedding website had a lot of stuff about my bisexuality on it because it was really important to me, even though I had a straight seeming like marriage, that my wedding like made visible my queerness and like talked about that. And so like on our wedding website, it mentioned that I was bi and I had non-binary folks in my wedding party and our vows mentioned that. And like a couple months before the wedding we were having a zoom call with my in-laws and we're chit-chatting you know we're doing this for the wedding we're doing that things are going well and then his mom goes 
Well, the real reason we called you today. Oh my god. We want to ask about the bisexuality thing. And I was, I mean, and it's so They funny. want to make sure that you're not going to cheat on their son. Right? Like, that's We're like, oh my god. Why are you talking on the website? No. It was so funny. They're like, does Taylor know? I'm like, of course, Taylor. Oh it's on the website. He knows. <laughs> like, oh no, he didn't he know. Have, have um, browser. But like, he, uh, it was so funny because I could feel my husband like tensing up behind me, ready to like fight his parents. And I was like, no, 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 it's okay. Like, it's yeah. okay. I can talk about this. And so I was like, thank you so much for asking. I would love to share with you my journey. And I talked to them through like real. I was queer and coming out and like statistics on queer youth and like suicide and homelessness and all these things yeah. and like all of this stuff and like just like this like 15 minute like prepared lecture being like here's my theological reasoning and here's how I've gotten to this point and all this stuff and here's the verses and here's what I believe and I get through all of this and my mother-in-law who went from being a Catholic to an evangelical without knowing anything about the Protestant mm -hmm. Information says to me, well, that's all really nice, but the Bible says it's a sin. Oh no. And I'm like, girl, I just <laughs> I went to went school through... for so long. Yes. Would you like me to give you a word study on I'm all like, six clobber verses? Like, do you want me to send you a document with yeah. that help? I have a note in my notes app typed up where I, I wrote go into book. the Hebrew and Greek. Oh, <laughs> I, wrote my gosh. I literally have asked Chad GBT to write me a dissertation Incredible. on this. <laughs> and it did a, a great great job. But I think you're right. I think we do feel this need to have all of our sources cited but i think what i'm coming to is a conclusion is like people cannot rationale their way out of a certain belief like there has to be an investment for that person to say i want to find a different route and i i started working on this paper it's not finished yet but it was like instead of having to put the burden on me mm -hmm. to prove that there is space for lgbtq people in the church what if you know these people said, if, if hypothetically, if God said, I will allow all gay people to enter heaven if you can come up with a strong enough argument. Like, I think theoretically, people could put themselves through the exercise, but they have to want to. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, it's like when I got in my relationship with uh, my, my fiance, uh, I definitely took that route. I was like, let me read all the books. Let me find all the theology. Let me make sure that I have everything backed up. And realizing that even with all that, it wasn't enough of an argument to convince people who were convinced otherwise. They don't want to believe you. They don't. And I was really frustrated because my partner <laughs> takes a di very different route. Um, she was very much like, I have done everything that I needed to do and it's not fixed. So like my bisexual, my sexuality is not fixed, even though I've been celibate for six years and I've done all the things like I'm done pursuing that route. And she draw a drew a lot of... Um, just self-reference in her own experience. And I realized I'm not allowing myself to say my story and my experience is enough. Instead, I, I <laughs> we would butt heads because I'm like, well, you need to study. Like, we need to have these answers. Like, we need to do, did you read this book? And she's like, no, I don't need to read the book. It is what it is. I am who I am. And I think that was the first awakenings of my giving myself my own permission to say, this is my story too. And I don't need to prove it for it to be valid. I thought it was really interesting. You mentioned, Melody, um, when your in-laws were like, uh, let's talk about this. You, 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 you were like, yeah, let's with, talk. With, yeah. Thank you for asking to hear my story. Um, and I think that that's a journey, um, not only for queer people, but just especially from the, the purity culture conversation um, of th there's a shift from feeling defensive mm -hmm. and, and fighting someone um, I'm a fire sign. That's my first instinct is to yeah. fight someone. Um, 
shifting from that to yeah, let's talk about it. Thank you for asking. Thank you for for you know giving me the opportunity to to share. How did you two get to that switch? Uh, mm. Because I know that you're at a very similar space too, um, especially with that whole transition of jobs and and starting Imago Gay. I mean, that was a huge thank you for asking. Let me share my story moment. Yeah. Um, how did you two get there? Well, <laughs> uh, gosh. Uh, so. Like I said, I think, first of all, I'm extremely lucky mm. because I grew up with like really moderate, thoughtful parents. One of the primary values growing up was education and so forth. And my mom is an elementary school teacher and my dad's a minister. So, of course, naturally. I, yeah. <laughs> How else do you think you end up this people pleasing and obsessed with like doing the homework? Um, <laughs> I think that. I definitely, like most of us, like I went through my like fiery, radical, revolutionary phase in university. Uh, I somewhat notoriously ran the student movement for a couple of years. Uh, one of my claims to fame is that Ted Wilson has named me as a problem in an Andrews oh, University amazing. board meeting. So cool. <laughs> and the funniest thing is I was currently working for the PR staff that summer at Andrews. <laughs> Didn't and you say that you got like a note under your Oh, that was, yeah, I, you know, people send you hate mail. It's like, you know, it's yeah. a thing. The yeah. hate mail. It's Especially I will, Adventist so loving. Mail. It's a completely different <laughs> Yeah, they're like, I'm praying for you. And I'm like, wow, I feel so prayed for. I'm praying for you too. Thank you. Uh, live long and prosper. <laughs> um, but no, I think that two things really helped me. One was no longer being in a situation where p those people had power over me. Yeah, exactly. Like when I went to graduate school, I was in secular school for the first time. I wasn't going to get kicked out for being queer yep. or having a beer or like doing anything like that. And then the other thing was like I grew up and I figured out who I was and like that takes time and therapy. And it's not like I'm like, yes, I'm 30 now and I know who I am and I will not change for the rest of my life. Right. But like so much of that work came from when I was in my PhD and I taught freshman year uh, women's literature and my classes were always discussion based and I had students who came from all kinds of different backgrounds and all kinds of different spaces like some of them were like awesome leftist non-binary activists and some of them were like guys who wanted to meet women and thought this would be a good ratio <laughs> yeah but like the biggest thing is that like there's there's this fantastic quote by this theologian who talks about the fact that Ideally, the classroom has to be a space where we recognize that we belong to each other yeah. and that like we are kind of in this space of like recognizing each other's mutual humanity. And I think that like if you are in a space and if you are in a position of power where you have the capacity and the protections to be able to say like, OK, like I know you come from a different thing and I am going to try and engage with you in good faith because you win more flies with honey than with vinegar, right? Like I tried the fighting and the arguing and the yelling and like it didn't really change anyone's mind. It's it still just fun, made though. Me, it is. Yeah. It feels so good. It <laughs> Especially feels when you have like a so winning good. point. Yeah. yeah. You're like, I'm right. Yeah. But like no, no one has ever really changed their mind based on knowing they're right. Like before I realized I was bisexual, like I had been like going to all the different forums on campus about queerness and all this stuff and thinking about it and reading about it. And then one of my best friends came out to me as gay. And I suddenly realized I was way more homophobic than I thought I was mm -hmm. because I was like, well, I think it's fine now to say who it is. Like he's 
fully an adult and no longer my friend Matt came up to me as gay and he was just the loveliest person like he was so kind and thoughtful when my aunt died he like brought me like plant like a uh, flowers and a card and like made sure I was okay and like came to the dorm at like one in the morning to like Ooh. listen to me cry when this guy I liked didn't like me back and all this stuff like he was lovely and I had to reconcile like all of these kind of ideas I had inherited from society about queerness and about like masculinity and stuff with my wonderful friend and it was my love for my friend that really mm. set me down this path to deconstruction because yeah. i was like i was like i don't want to be part of a belief system that says that this person is inherently bad when he is one of he is a better christian than me like he is a more loving person than me he is so kind and so lovely and i think that example of him being gentle and answering questions and being thoughtful really modeled for me like ideally and that is all to say like i know i'm going on but like there was this like stupid commercial a couple years ago sponsored by some alcohol brand that was like oh we sat down like a, oh, yeah. a transphobic mm -hmm. person and a trans person to talk or whatever and like that's a fight waiting to happen. I know. And what also, it's, was this? It's, it was remember. like, yeah, it was basically <laughs> like hash it out over a beer or something yeah, like that. Yeah. Like, this commercial completely and totally like ignored the way that power circulates <laughs> yeah. and the way that like we put the labor on people in marginalized positions to constantly be the bigger person to constantly Literally. show up. When they go low, we go high, right? Like you yeah. always have to be the bigger person. And I think it is the job of allies and people mm -hmm. who are educated to be able to do that emotional labor of like doing that work as they have the capacity while also recognizing that like people's minds change in relationship. Yeah. And I don't have a like there's no cut and dried way to say like this is how it goes. Like, yeah. number one, you have to protect yourself in your emotional well-being. But like, I think that like minds do change in openness yeah. and in love. And then when queer people and women who are breaking out of purity culture and, you know, all of these these people in these scenarios, when they finally do snap, um, like, like what happened with me at college, mm -hmm. I finally snapped and I said, this is this is enough. And then where does the blame get placed? Mm -hmm. um, oh, you, you didn't know, try hard enough. I, really, I was never a really student had a representative that, that cussed on my TikTok mm -hmm. channel, you know, and that's where the blame gets placed because it's a lot easier to push it back on the person that yeah. you don't even think is human as it mm -hmm. is just because of their outlook or just because of their sexual identity. It's like they're finally confirming Absolutely. for you what you would already assume exactly. about them. Exactly. Yeah. I think even this position of feeling the need to explain may not always be the healthiest position. You know, like I think for myself, growing up in like a bi... Um, racial household you know my mom is uh, afro-latina my dad's white and i'm this like perfect blend uh that i often felt like the pressure to be kind of the go-between between two cultures you know my mom was very much like anti-establishment and could see racism happening to her and my dad was very like well if you just work hard like all things will happen to you the way that it should yeah. girl you know <laughs> Yeah, and so it's like, you know, uh, just trying to like balance this conversation all the time and being the go between and uh, having to like, you know, like have the answers immediately, mm -hmm. have the answers yeah. or like be and feeling the, that tension. Yeah, that it, you're like, I have to be the like, the I have to reconcile these things. I have to make people get along or figure out the correct answer based on these differing expectations. And whether it's exactly. race or even ideologies. I know my parents were were split pretty evenly um, between very strict as far as dress and, you know, um, 
dating rules and all of these things um, that are directly tied to that fundamentalist evangelical purity culture. One parent was super strict and the other was not. Um, and so then, you know, you feel like you, you're a go between between them and you're not only are your arms being torn in two different directions, but you also have to somehow reconcile your parents and fix their marriage weirdly. Um, and whether it's with race or with that, that's a weird situation to put a child in. It's a lot of pressure. And then to have to understand, like, where do I fit in all of this, like kind of inheriting both worlds. And so I think I even walked into like the theological conversation with that predisposition to say, how do I take the conservative view and the liberal view and like marry them together in happy harmony? How can I make everybody yeah. get along? Like it's not going to happen. Yeah. How can I be Aquaman, you know, of the land <laughs> and of the sea? <laughs> Bring peace. But I think, yeah, so I don't think that it was necessarily a healthy place that that came from. I think there's a lot of like childhood, maybe trauma of of being overly responsible for needing to make a reconciliation happen. Are you an oldest daughter? Uh, I am the only daughter. So. Oh, by <laughs> default. Yeah. Like, <laughs> but, I'm always getting those TikToks that are like, just oldest daughter things. And I'm like, but of course it's my job to make it sure that I didn't even know that was yeah. like a niche thing that I other people experienced until TikTok brought it to my attention. Like, oh, the oldest daughter syndrome. I didn't know that was a thing. TikTok is so yeah. enriching. My God. <laughs> my God would beg to differ. <laughs> China's stealing all of my information. Mm -hmm. as we speak. Mm -hmm. <laughs> where do you guys think your first experience was like, where was the genesis of being told that sexual expression, queer or not, was bad? <laughs> Like, that, you go first. Yeah. I'm unpacking over here. Uh, no, I think for me, it definitely happened in church. Now, I'm coming from a maybe a unique perspective because my parents are not Adventist. Um, Andrews was my first experience with Adventism. I'd gone to public school my whole life. But I think because I grew up with my dad and my two brothers, like there was a part of me that was looking for structure or like something uh, to tell me what to do. And I think I found that in church. And so kind of inter encountering that in that setting was probably my first experience. It was always offset with real life and like my friends who were not under that same pressure. Um, so I was constantly balancing between how this actually works um, in real life versus the theoretical ways that we should be in church. And I think it just ultimately ended up with me carrying a lot of shame. Mm. Mm. I think sexual expression is such a a deep thing for a child to start grasping um that when they do the people who are the closest form of mentors is going to be their parents mm -hmm. and so at least for me personally it was this idea of this is something that i'm starting to think about so who am i going to go to first mm -hmm. and those people are going to tell me that everything i'm feeling everything i'm thinking everything i'm wanting is wrong and that I'm going to go to hell for this, basically. Mm -hmm. um, and I know that the Adventist idea of hell is a lot different. I was about to say, you know, we don't believe in eternal we don't believe in We don't believe in <laughs> eternal damnation, but yeah. apparently sexual sin is so high on the list of sins that apparently with the Adventist idea of um, you are consumed for longer based on the amount of sin in your life. Like mm -hmm. this concept that Satan is going to burn. Yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, really? Uh, this is how I, I know, know I grew yes. up a different flavor. I grew up yeah. the like health and education flavor of Adventists, um, not the like, here's that, exactly how bad you're being. Yeah. Exactly yeah. that like, Satan will burn for longer when the earth is consumed than people will because of the... We can have a little eternal burning hell as a tree. Right, yeah. exactly. Like Hitler so will get a really long time. The worse you, know. you sinned, the longer you burn. The longer yeah. you've been a Hell Rewards member. The more yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so this idea of like sexual sin is so huge and so 
destructive, quote unquote, that it's like, I'm going to like, I'm going to burn for longer. I'm going to be in worse pain for this. And that was coming from the people that I trusted the most with yeah. my life. Well, it's so Methodist to us, right? Yeah. Because like Adventism has these roots in like Methodism and the temperance movement. And so like there's the like don't drink and take care of your body and no dancing and like sex is dangerous and like Kellogg like invents breakfast cereal so people won't masturbate and all this stuff. And it's like Did really you know he also circumcised women. Oh yeah. That's why like there's many reasons he got kicked out of the yeah. church and one of them was he like stopped believing in sex at all. Mm-hmm. And Ellen White for all of her flaws was like, no, like in marriage, we should probably keep doing that because mm-hmm. I enjoy my marriage and would like to keep <laughs> doing that. Uh like rare W for Ellen. Uh <laughs> but <laughs> so I think that like it's so fascinating to me because like general like evangelical Christianity and the Christian church has this like split between body and soul and Adventism theoretically doesn't like the whole health message is this idea that like your body is important and good and it's so weird to me that despite growing up in a denomination that theoretically said my body was important and good that like at best we just didn't talk about it and at worst it was this like very old school like your body is dangerous and it's just like it's such a bummer because like bodies are incredible and being like a being that gets to experience things is incredible and like um I don't know, like having senses is such like if you believe that God created your body, that means God created orgasm and taste buds and like the ability to appreciate music and all of those things. And well, like specifically with women, it's like you're told out what like you just said, we should celebrate our bodies and stuff. But then it's like your body's being preyed on. So then you just like grow up with this fear of the world that I feel like not everybody has like, to yeah it's yeah. it's so unnecessary at the end of the day well, like, it's the constant surveillance right yeah like and i mean i'm a pastor's kid so like i don't think the surveillance came from my parents so much as the knowledge that like we were being surveilled like mm-hmm. you asked like what's your first memory of that and i can't like i don't have a date like written down like dear diary today this thing happened for the first time but one of the <laughs> yeah, most vivid memories i have of being <laughs> like a kid so i grew up in this i was really lucky because i grew up in the same church from ages 7 through 18. most pastors kids do not get to stay that long and we had like all of these really old guys there and uh when sometimes if i had been like sitting in the pew and this is from like age like nine and ten i was not a teenager if my like dress or skirt had ridden up or i was like talking to one of my friends one of these old men and sometimes the old women would just like walk up to me wordlessly and like tug my skirt down it was, so it was old like women well, in my church yeah. like See, that's at I, least like, i don't I know, know why like, or, like put a sweater over your shoulders no yeah. like i remember one time you just unlocked like a really odd memory for me i remember I was 11 years old. Like, there was no reason for this lady to be hating on me. (laughs) Like, I feel like people at my church just hated me to hate me. I wore, like, this... I was 11 years old, but I wore, like, this strapless, like, uh, dress that I got from Hawaii. Like, my most recent vacation. My first, like birthday trip yeah it was adorable and i wore a shrug over it because my mommy told me so so i wore a cute little shrug especially that era where it's like cropped off right yeah Yeah. it was adorable it was cute (laughs) it was it was classy the academy shrug collection yeah and i remember like the next uh sabbath like this lady came up to me and told me that like it looked like essentially trampy on me like I don't remember the exact words but that that was like the essence of it It was like I was getting 
body shamed at 11 years old by this by old, other women yeah it, we're it, just perpetuating the trauma exactly so i i never wore that dress again <laughs> like, and it's so weird because like their whole thing is like you're not being classy and it's like well, neither are you coming after an 11 year old that you know like well, yeah. it's this great irony where, like, they accuse you of being sexual. You're 11 years old. Like, you're the one sexualizing children. Do I even have boobs yet? The world may never know. <laughs> I'm just a little chunky. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and it kind of, like, takes the power away from your own kind of self-knowledge and self-understanding. Mm-hmm. Like, purity culture says other people are going to dictate to you what is appropriate. Instead of saying, like, what am I comfortable with? Like, even the even the talks about consent. Like, why is this not about what my voice is and what my wants are and how I wish to express myself. Instead, it's this kind of externalized, I'm going to say very patriarchal Mm -hmm. kind of version of how women should be in the world. Whether, yeah, instead of being like, how do I wish to be in the world? And I think, sorry. Oh, go. Cut you off. I think (laughs) a a lot of it from specifically the older women is coming from a point where their humanity was diminished by the men in their lives telling them to cover up or over-sexualizing them and the taking advantage of them. The biggest misogynists are women. Exactly. Yeah. And so then the, in their minds, they are saving the next generation of girls from going through the same stuff that they dealt with mm-hmm. by telling them to cover up. They're protecting us. And it's so hard. Like, like I am a feminist. I have deconstructed all this stuff. And I still struggle with, like, how do you, especially, like, dealing with, like, interns in my office or like when I have daughters or whatever like how do you talk to girls about the fact that their bodies belong to them and they can wear what they want but also they live in a society and like they will be perceived in certain ways and also you want them if they're going to dress a certain way to do it for them and not because they feel a pressure and like dressing to the male gaze and like there's so much stuff to unpack and I wish I had been given literally any of the tools to think about that for myself instead of just like like, I think people like rules because they're easy. Like, they're stressful, but they're also easy. Like, uh, Kingsway, our rule was, like, skirts can't be more than a credit card above the knee kind of stuff. <laughs> and fingers. like Yeah, um, no sleeveless stuff except for banquet and graduation because then you can individually have min- uh, the, like, girls D and, like, check the straps for, like, width and, like, you're, like, sewing the little bits into the cleavage and Am all I that. Am I passing right now? Right? <laughs> no. Am I okay? Oh. No, Too much collarbone. Everyone Too knows collarbone is still the playground. Um... <laughs> But like rule, like dress codes are rules and rules prevent thought. And that can be like seductive, pun intended, or like whatever, because like it is nice to not have to be an adult who thinks about hard questions. It is nice to be able to say like, this is right. This is wrong. This is right. This is wrong. There's like that graphic that went around a few years ago with the skirt lengths and like, oh, you're a prude if it's this long and you're like classy if it's this long and you're flirty if it's this long and you're slutty if it's that long and you're... What if I want to show off my ass? Well, also it's just like, I feel like the clothes shaming and those rules affected me completely different because... I grew up with a completely different body type than all of the other girls around me. Like, Mm. I was always a little bit on the heavier side and taller. So, obviously, like, the dress that my friend is wearing Mm -hmm. looks trashy and trampy on me. So, I I just grew up with, like, a huge disconnect from my body. Like, I hated it my whole life. And even just the American clothing industry just doesn't make clothes for other body types. Like, I was told that I was uh, making myself seductive at such a young age, but I was wearing the same thing as everybody else. You just developed differently. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Like, I'm sorry my metabolism is lame. Like... Sorry, I'm voluptuous and yeah, wonderful. My yeah, my bad. <laughs> Can we talk about bathing suits for a second? Yeah. Because, like, oh, my goodness. So, like, uh, 
I remember as a kid, like all I wanted was a two piece bathing suit. <laughs> and there was this idea like, oh, no, like one piece bathing suits are modest. Two piece bathing suits are not. And like putting aside again, it's weird. Like, I don't like bikinis on babies. It feels weird to me. But also like what's like it's easier for a kid to go to the bathroom in a two piece bathing suit. Like it's there's so much everything. And also, right? it's objectively cute. I'm sorry. They're adorable. <laughs> so there's just more options, man. I don't want to wear an athletic bathing suit. I'm not athletic. I'm so not on the about. swim team, man. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but like I remember in high school, a big win for me was like the mom tankinis at Old Navy. Uh, just that this. had the little shorts and had yeah. like the full thing. And I could go to my mom and be like, look, this has more coverage than a one piece. I can get this. And like wearing those on like class trips and like my mom sewed in a piece of swimsuit fabric <laughs> so that it was like not plunging neckline or whatever. And it was like this very momish bathing suit, like one of those like kind of like, you know, the kind of bathing yeah. suit. Like it's not cute. It's not young. But I felt so cute because I was I had a halter top and all I wanted my entire teen years was a halter top because <laughs> I thought that was like the epitome of cool was to have a halter top. Well, it was. Yeah. I know halter tops are great, but now I can't wear them because my boobs are too big. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can still. Life wear. comes yeah, at you like, funny some way. We're, you're wearing titty earrings. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know that I can't wear them. Halter top. <laughs> I'm gonna get back pain from it. Not like, like I knew somebody was gonna come back. At some point. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but like, I think like it's so weird. Um, just like or like, oh my gosh. So like talking about like the rules and the stuff like that yeah. and double standards and questions and stuff. So when I was in high school. Uh, I think this was grade 12, we were taking this class, Writer's Craft, and we had a section on speech writing. And there was this rumor going around that the administration was going to change the dress code so we weren't allowed to wear skinny jeans. Mm. Um, because, like, skinny jeans were just taken off, and, like, everyone was wearing skinny jeans, and they were tight, and there was, like, oh, no, are the jeans too tight? Are they sexual or whatever? Um, and I was, like, first of all, I don't want to be unstylish. I finally started getting to buy clothes I like. Like, screw you. And so, like, we had to give this speech, and the my English teacher ended up inviting the principal to come to class for my speech, because my speech was all the reasons why it would be, like, unjust for them to ban skinny jeans. And <laughs> I had Dr. Rashman <laughs> oh my gosh. all day. Ari's like, please ban <laughs> But I had this like three pronged argument that was like, number one, this is like not fair financially to students because a lot of people buy their school wardrobe at the beginning of the year and they can't afford to buy new pants. Yeah. Second of all, like if your if your reasoning is like you can't wear pants that show the shape of your leg, then we can't wear pants because like what are we gonna be like, oh no, now I don't know what legs look like. Your <laughs> right. pants have an extra inch of fabric. But the third reason, and the reason I bring it up, is that a ton of guys at our school had started wearing skinny jeans and they were only going to ban girls from wearing skinny mm. jeans. And in my argument, I was like, and like, I wouldn't even identify for a, as a feminist for years after this, but I was like, this is bullshit. Yeah. Oops, sorry. And I was like, this is nonsense. Like, the guys are wearing jeans. Are legs inherently sexual? If so, that's the guy I have a crush on. I like his legs and his purple skinny jeans. 2010 was a moment. Um, <laughs> and like, I'm not saying it was me, but they never banned skinny jeans. But like, yes. I think that like thinking about like whose bodies are surveilled and whose bodies are controlled and whose bodies are sexual was something I started doing in high school. And I think that yeah. like, it's funny because like I saw this TikTok recently about how if you grew up as a queer woman, often you were pro-modesty because you'd be like, well, I get it. Women's bodies are magical. Keep that locked up. Like, <laughs> right, right. It's dangerous. I but bet. also I was like a very horny middle schooler and high schooler. And I was like, but men are also beautiful and hot. And yeah. I thought I was the only girl who thought that men were attractive. I was like, why are they allowed to walk around shirtless at school? Yeah. And I have to wear my like dress that's here. Like it's making me but sweat for shrug. multiple reasons. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's really sad. Oh. 
I think it's really interesting though, even like to clarify like my interjected point about, you know, women's internalized misogyny. Uh-huh. I think sometimes they're the hardest people to turn because by the time it's become internalized, you've rationalized all these reasons, you know, it's for my safety, it's for the culture, it's for, you know, modesty or whatever. And I think it as women to be able to kind of give other women permission to have that self-expression, to not place blame on the self or on the gender for looking too hot, right? Um, To be able to externalize the blame in the appropriate places, like these people who are thinking bad thoughts. um, I think that's really important because my my own indoctrination, I think, happened and acculturation happened Mm -hmm. through other women, you know, uh, and it took me kind of leaving an entire friend group to be able to have my own sense of self-expression and not feel that kind of uh, shame yeah so i have a question for the group yeah okay so like i think a lot of us grew up especially if you grew up in the church with this kind of binary of like men want sex women want love like you got to cover up your body because men are visual creatures Uh, they are moved by the flesh and like they won't be able to see you as a person if you're dressed that way and everyone on this couch is attracted to women how did realizing that you were attracted to women affect your kind of like understanding of that rhetoric about like oh if people are attracted to you then they can't see you as a person like because like i'm attracted to women and that does not make me dehumanize them (laughs) I don't know. I was telling Ari, I kind of had like the opposite experience from every other girl that went to college because I thought I was a lesbian my whole life until I went to college. (laughs) Like I was so ready to tell my parents like, I'm gay. And then I had like a a freak out in college when I fell in love with a boy and I was like, this wasn't part of the plan. (laughs) (laughs) Not my (laughs) ten. I was like, I've been kissing girls since kindergarten. (laughs) Incredible. I don't know. I, I definitely just grew up gay. So and like I mentioned before, I never really um, digested or actually thought about what I had go- gone through. I I kind of went through like my trauma, kind of like Forrest Gump. Like I, yeah, I, I lived it. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, like I'm here now. That's all that matters. <laughs> I think I also had a weird experience because um, I think as I know that you know me off of what happened mm-hmm. on TikTok, um, but I didn't grow up as a girl, and so this whole like weird dichotomy of like how men see women and taught women to see women um didn't really exist for me um i was also in a family where i wasn't even allowed to talk to girls like um say for example when i was 14 i was sharing my mom's phone like i used my mom's phone to communicate with my friends and when she found out that i had a crush on one of the girls in our church um i was no longer allowed to Hmm. talk to that girl Hmm. at all um and so that like isolation kind of thing um meanwhile i'm just going like i like being friends with her um and yes there were feelings there but as a 14 year old i didn't really understand because i had been isolated so much from understanding the world around me in general um and i think that kind of to break this all down as we're running out of time but um humans are sexual creatures you have to provide an atmosphere where that can be communicated and worked through and understood in a safe context. Um, And it can go in two directions, unsafe in the we don't talk about that and we ignore it and we pretend it doesn't exist and you're not allowed to think about it and unsafe in the the context of taking it too far. Um, And I don't think that any of that is something that that the church has worked out yet. Yeah, I think the surprising discovery for me is being 
um, in a relation in a lesbian relationship that my partner can desire me and I can desire them. And there's no takeaway with, you know, takeaway from how incredible they are. Like, I feel like my partner sees me more than I've ever been seen by a man and appreciates my intellect and finds me stimulating in ways that I don't think I've ever experienced in a male relationship. She sees your humanity. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And so that, that that sexuality and dehumanization, it doesn't go hand in hand, right? Uh, it may be only for one sex, but uh, in my relationship, it's been quite the opposite. You know, it's been an enhancement. I'm married to a man who is so lovely and so thoughtful and kind. And one of the big things we've had to work through is the ways in which purity culture taught me lies about the way men think. Mm. Like if you grow up with the rule, like men always want sex all the time and they're always thinking about it and they're always horny and their sex drives are higher. And then, like, I am a woman with a high sex drive. And, like, when we were first together, that made me feel kind of broken. I was like, well, like, how come, like, I want it more than you want it? Like, what's wrong with us? As if, like, we're not just people. And people have different Mm -hmm. drives and needs. And, like, that's fine. Like, why am I still, like, I have deconstructed this intellectually. And yet, why am I still, like, dealing with this idea that, like, oh, like, men want this much and something is wrong with me or how I look or how you feel about me if, like, that happens? I I think it's so telling that um, one thing I'm really interested in right now is masculinity. Like I've been studying masculinity and writing about masculinity and the ways that like cultural understandings around masculinity, toxic masculinity compresses men's lives and makes them so much smaller. Mm -hmm. Like I think about the fact that I was raised like on all of these books and stuff. There's this horrible book named Dateable, which is like the poorest (laughs) book, but it like ran my life for three or four years because it was like, okay, here is the gospel on how teenage boys think and how I'm supposed to think. And its whole argument was like, boys will use love. They'll say they love you or whatever to get you to have sex with them. And girls will like have sex with boys because they want to be loved. And like, that's so dehumanizing to say that like men don't love their wives, that they don't enjoy emotional intimacy that like if my husband and i are watching tv and eating takeout and goofing around that he's just going two hours till i get some because i watch like like as if he's like i'll watch outlander with you baby so that we'll have sex (laughs) later and not because i enjoy like three-dimensional storytelling and historical understandings of medicine like that's so so weird very 2d to wrap it up humans like sex and humans like love and that's okay and we're good we're all good three-dimensional beings we are holistic like it is not a bad like it is emotions and physical intimacy (sighs) on both ends of the spectrum can go hand in hand and that's okay and like i don't know like just how do we move forward recognizing that each individual has their own sexuality and, and their own love? episode three. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're going too far, Melody. <laughs> I wasn't going to answer the question. It's rhetorical. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you all. This is really fun. Same. Thank yeah. you. Thanks for having us. On to the next one.